just a little disclaimer here. After we recorded this episode, Matt Moore did sign with the Los Angeles Angels, so just wanted to give you guys a little heads up on that. What's up, guys? This is Rob Pearsall, and welcome back to a new episode of the Mets Legends cast. I, of course, am joined by my co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. Alex, how's your day going today? Day's been good. Um, starting early, we decided, you know what? I'm not going to go to the chiropractor or acupuncture. It's just too nice outside. We need to give Samson a nice long walk. So we canceled, took him on a nice long walk, got to watch him run around in the park. Just a, uh, got, I got my laundry done. I got the rest of my laundry done. Just a great day. Great day. Great, beautiful, unseasonably warm day. Rob, how was your day? My day was really nice, actually. I played wiffle ball with one of my friends, who you know, actually. Shout out to my friend Phil, who also goes by Puppy Smooth. Oh, Check wow. out his music That's on a good Spotify. Time. It was great. He has a really great backyard area, and we actually play wiffle ball when the weather's warm outside over the summer, and we have scoring and big league chew, and it's all very, very fun, so... We were just getting some practice in today. We had a little bit of a catch as well, so it was really nice. I'm glad I got to take advantage of the warm weather. That was really awesome. And then other than that, I've pretty much just been taking it easy, getting ready to talk to you tonight. I was looking forward to it all day, and I was I always just really enjoy talking baseball with you, Al. Yeah, I like my I like my Wednesday Wednesday Wednesdays. Stupid word. Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> it's Wednesday, my dudes. Eh. Just um, uh, in the future, I uh, obviously I'm, I'm assuming this was happening like during the day or something. But I would love to intrude and and play some wiffle ball one day. Absolutely. We were talking about maybe if the warm weather continues and the spring, March, April are really warm, that we might start the wiffle ball season up a little early. You, of course, are more than welcome to come. But even if you just want to have a catch some time or if you want to go to like the park and play stickball or wiffle ball, autonomous of what I did today, I am also down for that. But you are more than welcome to intrude any time, my friend, because I think that'd be really fun and it would be a very nice Mets Legends cast in-person bonding experience. Look at us. Look at us. Hey. Look at us. Could you believe it? So, Alex, today is very special, too, because pitchers and catchers reported today. I know. And that's super exciting. Yeah, I know. It was great. I wore my Mets shirt today, and just people coming up to me like, hey, pitchers and catchers today. I'm like, I know my guy. <laughs> it's just like the Super Bowl was a lot of fun on Sunday. It was a highly contested game, but once it was over – it really just felt like baseball season. And it's been really nice to see a lot of the guys too, like Pete Alonzo, like Jeff McNeil showing up early because obviously right now pitchers and catchers are the only ones that are mandatory to have to report. But to see a lot of the guys out there, it's really nice. So, and I just love this time of year too, because even if there are no official games yet, you get to see some content. You get to see some videos of guys doing it in the, you know, on the field and, I don't know. It's just really nice. I really enjoy this part of spring training. Everything feels very fresh and everything that happened last year kind of seems in the rear view and the goals are now in sight for this season. So, and I think these yeah. guys are really thirsty and I think that they're ready to to maybe finish some unfinished business from last year. Yeah, it's great. You, and you kind of see it throughout the league too, players reporting early. I think it's you you see this with the players who are planning on participating in the World Baseball Classic. They're coming in early so they could get some reps in, figure out and, and practice with the new rules together before they go off to the World Baseball Classic. That's like that's also why like someone like Omar Navarez showed up extra early to camp because obviously like if the players are coming in the day and the pitchers and catchers are due, pitchers and catchers who are going to the classic are coming in much earlier too, especially Navarez who has to like do a lot right now to learn the staff. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's also a fun thing about when guys first start to report is seeing the new faces and seeing them in the new uniforms. It's super weird seeing Justin Verlander in blue and orange, if I have to say. It is. Uh, it's very strange. 
He's, uh, it's like jarring. I keep thinking like, that's what he looks like. I've known me to looks like all my life. Justin Verlander was probably one of the first like non New York players who I became very familiar with just because there was an action figure of his at Models. And I just really, and he, he must've been a rookie when that was out too, but he was just so electric and cool. And then just like the career he had of just always been such an admirer of his and now seeing him in his, 40 year old frame but still like looking fit as hell that guy's forearms are huge he's i mean he has pitcher arms you know like and it's just, i i don't know uh for some reason i really love seeing like like a pitcher just like big forearms i'm like yeah that guy that guy hurls like you just know it we love big forearms on this podcast we love that's big all forearms. i have to say but even just like him wearing a mets uniform it's kind of like seeing scherzer last year where it's it's not quite registering yet. But speaking of both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, they're now rejoining a rotation together for the first time since they played with the Detroit Tigers many years ago. And when Justin Verlander first signed with the Mets, there were some stories that came out about how Max Scherzer and him didn't necessarily have a wonderful, blossoming friendship, to put it lightly, when they were in Detroit together. But now that they're back in New York and they're a little bit older, they talked about it a bit today. And I'm just going to read you this quote really quick that Max Scherzer had to say about Justin Verlander and him being back in the same rotation. So earlier today, he met with the media and he said, I'm really looking forward to being here with him again. We're obviously in different situations in our lives. I think we can both look back at our time in Detroit together. We had such an incredible team, but didn't reach our ultimate goal. Hopefully reunited here, we can achieve that. And, uh, you know, it's really true. When they were when they were in Detroit, they were a little bit younger. It was a little bit different. And now they've both been in different places. You had Scherzer pitch for the Nationals for a really long time. You had him pitch for the Dodgers. Obviously, Justin Verlander had a career resurgence, went to Houston, won a World Series. And now they're back together, and they're hoping to win one together with the Mets. So it's just really nice seeing both of those guys yesterday walking into camp together. It really felt like a breath of fresh air to me, at least. Just kind of like, okay, these are our guys this year. And truthfully, this is this is a very strange uh, spring training because Jacob deGrom is gone, and we're going to talk about him in a little while. But this is the first time since, I don't know, in almost 10 years where the book is now closed on the quote-unquote five aces that the Mets had back in 2015 because everyone's gone. And Jacob deGrom was obviously the last of that era of Mets pitchers. But now it's weird that that has come and gone. They had all that homegrown pitching talent. And now they have a much different rotation where it's mostly comprised of veteran arms. You have the incumbent Carlos Carrasco, the incumbent Max Scherzer. The Mets brought in Jose Quintana this offseason. They brought over Kodai Senga. And yes, he's a rookie, but he's not a kid. He's been pitching professionally for years and you have Justin Verlander. So it's really a new look rotation. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very much excited for that. And I'm very much excited to see those guys pitching together. But what do you think about all of that, Alex, kind of the history between Verlander and Max Scherzer and just those quotes today? Like how does all of that make you feel? And what are your thoughts on that for the most part? I mean, yeah, it's kind of heavy the way you just laid everything out. Really had me thinking, especially with the uh, Jacob Degrom being gone, and that and along with the last vestiges of the of the five aces. Uh, in terms of Justin and Max, it really is just kind of surreal. I had one of those, you know, it was a fresh moment today seeing seeing the pictures of Justin Verlander on the Mets Instagram. And I picked up my wife from from work today, and she's so great. And she just goes so um, and she's like kind of nervous too because uh, she wants to make sure she's like saying the right thing. She's so um, pitchers and catchers today, huh? And I I kind of looked at her like, and I went, yeah. She goes, yeah, and Verlander's there. I'm like, I don't know. It was just really cool to hear. And then in that moment, I was like, 
Yeah, I saw that picture. Man, I can't believe Verlander's a Met. You know, it's still, I, I kind of like, I think I took it for granted when the news first came out because it, it that news came at the same time of losing DeGrom. And so for some reason in that moment, in that context, it's it still just felt like, okay, yeah, 40-year-old Justin Verlander, sure, he won a Cy Young Award, but it, it, my expectations were a little bit tampered, you know? Is that the word I would use? Yeah. Tempered? Tempered, that's tempered? it. That's yeah. it. Tempered. And so, but now that it's been a full off season and I get to see him actually in the Mets, you know, blue and orange, it's like really sinking in now. And, and you know, he's, he's still that guy. Like no matter what, he's still that guy. So having those guys together again after that, you know, that crazy electric, I mean, I feel like that Detroit Tigers team has got to be one of the great what ifs of, 21st century baseball like just like I feel like they're the best team that I could think of that never won a World Series in in the 21st century and especially having those two up top but also Annabelle Sanchez kind of like working at his peak and of course you also had um gosh uh, Porcello like but like Cy, pre-Cy Young Porcello but working great right that was Porcello right yeah, and we got to put some respect on my guy's name because anyone listening knows that I am a massive Rick Porcello stand. So, of course, shout of course, out Rick Porcello, New Jersey native. Yeah, I mean, it was just like crazy rotation, peak Miguel Cabrera, uh, Victor Martinez. I mean, uh, I know I'm not going to just rattle off everybody on on that team, but it was interesting. I didn't know that they weren't super friendly with each other back then, but I guess that makes sense because. In those days, and and you see it now too when players leave, and no matter what, it's their job, but it also has to have this type of, especially as the pitcher, where the pitchers are like the on, they're they're the stars of the sport. Like no matter what, the pitchers are the stars. They're the superstars because they're the ones who control the game. Like no matter what, you could have your elite players on the field, but I I think they'll always kind of be overshadowed by whoever, like if there's a true elite S-tier ace on the mound, they are the true star because they they control the entire game. So I could see how you could have Verlander and Scherzer kind of, maybe not butting heads, but having like their alpha personalities kind of clashing with each other, especially like them in their in their primes in their 20s, late 20s. Especially yeah, because yeah, like, like, Ver, like Verlander is really only like a year or two older than him. But at that point, he had more experience as like a top level pitcher in the league because Scherzer kind of like, I want to say he was a late bloomer, but it took him a few years to come into his own. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. But yeah, I think with with what you were saying is true about how with pitchers, they obviously control the game and I think it's just more magnified when you're a pitcher sometimes as opposed to an, a position player. If a guy goes over four at the dish with three strikeouts, it doesn't look great in the box score. But if everyone else around him scores runs, it's a little bit kind of hidden. But if a pitcher goes out there and he wears seven runs on his sleeve, then it's more magnified. You're going to reckon be like, oh well, the Mets never had a chance today because so and so let up seven runs. So. Exactly what you're saying is true. Also, I just wanted to say I absolutely love your relationship with Caitlin. She is just the best, and that is such a wholesome interaction that you guys had earlier. I just I love you guys. You're just so nice and such a cute little family with Samson and everything like that. But right. it's just like so cool to see Caitlin being excited about the Mets too and knows that you're excited about them too, which makes her excited as well. So it's just really nice. Yeah, we, we have a good relationship. I love my wife. It's it's cool. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> but but uh, you know you know back to uh, Justin and Max. The fact that they could look back on those days and kind of see it as like um, I want to say the good old days, but how they could kind of reminisce as like these two kind of older guys, and if it, it's like old bandmates or like old. Um, you know, like almost like army veterans, you know, like they went through it together. Maybe they weren't best friends, but they have those shared experiences. They were, you know, they were on the front lines. They were there trying to carry that team to a world series championship. It didn't happen, but you know, they got all those Cy Young since, and I hear they are again together again. 
trying to take this, you know, younger group, you know, over the edge. Yeah, and over it's, the top, not over the it's edge. Over the edge. Over the Max edge. Scherzer. They're trying to die. This summer, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander star in Over the Edge. Two old heads, one mission, win a World Series. Coming soon, August 2023. This pitching staff is baseball's version of Wild Hogs. You know, get I it like made. The nickname. I like the nickname, the Wild Hogs, for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. We should start that. Them and, and Carrasco and Quintana. And you know what? Screw That's it. The four Throw Kodai Senga in there, too. Throw Kodai Senga in there. But what I wanted to say, too, is um, I think that we often, from an outside perspective as fans, just assume that guys that play on the same team are close because they're on the same team and you see them dapping each other up after home runs and this and that. But I think you, so you know, I don't, I think that you don't really think about it so much when guys don't necessarily mesh well, but it is interesting with Scherzer and Verlander because they've both had in their own respects, hall of fame careers and they've done it in different roads. Obviously Justin Verlander was, a big time prospect. He came up through the Tiger system. He kind of had his ups and downs in his career where years ago it kind of looked like Justin Verlander was done where it kind of felt like his peak had come and he was he was just going to be a serviceable to average yeah. pitcher. And then somehow he just completely re- reimagined himself and he ends up pitching to a sub 2 ERA in 2022 and parlayed it into a massive short-term deal with the Mets and you look at Scherzer and he's someone who started out with the Diamondbacks came over to the Tigers and then had some great years with Detroit but then he got that massive deal with the Washington Nationals so it's they've both had these interesting careers that have both kind of culminated in being Hall of Fame type careers and I fully believe that both those guys are going to get in because they're two of the best pitchers of this generation and now here they are First ballot, first ballot, absolutely, completely agree with that. But here they are now at the end of their careers where this is kind of like their last stand where it's like, all right, this is this is maybe one of the last things they're going to do in both of their respective careers. So it would be really, really awesome to see both of them be able to win one more World Series together and also to give the Mets fan base their first World Series celebration since the 80s. So I'm very much looking forward to both of them. Um, did you have any other remarks about that, Alex, before I kind of dive into the next topic? Oh yeah. I mean, not to gush, but just, you, you mentioned Verlander and I almost, I almost forgot that he had Tommy John just in 2020, uh, because you mentioned someone who had to reinvent himself and who kind of looked like his career was kind of, you know, ending for a little bit. And I thought you were talking about 2014 where suddenly he kind of like randomly lost it. Do you remember that? I just looked it up too, because I was like, it had to be 2014 or 15, right? Cause there was, there was a short stretch where it looked like Justin Verlander was, was kind of cooked. Um, I, after having all those like MVP type Cy Young type, you know, all star seasons. And then in 2014, you know, he pitched 200 innings still, but he had a, um, an ERA plus of 85. He made 32 starts, but with an ERA of four four fifty four. I just feel. Like, I remember like watching that too because I was I, I I was really an admirer of his, and so seeing him struggle that year, going like, oh, like is he done? And then the next year he was hurt a lot, only pitched like half the season, or he still started 20, 20 games, but it, you know wasn't particularly great. But then 2016, 2017, he just kind of goes over the top again. And then gets traded, and then you know, yeah, reinvents himself with the Astros. You know, I, I mean, it's like looking in hindsight now; it's such a small blip, but it's something I think about a lot when thinking about Justin Verlander and how uh, it really was a big deal when, because there were rumors that he would be traded earlier too, like in 2016. So then, when he finally did get traded in 2017, I mean, I mean it was still looked at as a little bit of a risk, you know, like the Yankees had a real shot at trading for him and they didn't. And I, I still, I tell all my Yankee fan friends that, you know, if Cashman, 
He does this all the time. But if he had traded for Verlander in 2017 that year, like there's not a doubt in my mind that the Yankees win the World Series that year and they'd actually have a World Series with those baby bombers, but they missed their chance. Uh, the moment went by and that's it. Yeah, but anyway, you know, Verlander, I'm, great. Yeah, I, I I actually was talking about that mid-2010 time period when, oh. when Verlander kind of lost it for a bit. I actually had forgotten that he just recently had Tommy John surgery, which kind of just adds to the lure the the lore the lore lore yeah it just adds to the lore of Justin Verlander so I'm really excited to see him and I'm a big fan of Kate Upton so I'm really excited to see her at some games cheering on the Mets and you know sitting with Steve Cohen and Alex Cohen maybe in the press box and stuff so but yeah I think it's going to be great um, something I did want to talk about because I think that it's necessary to talk about is Khalil Lee. We maybe touched upon it in the last episode, but if we didn't, I'll just give you guys a little refresher. A couple weeks ago, the Mets designated outfielder Khalil Lee for assignment after allegations came out against him that he choked his ex-girlfriend, and he cleared waivers, and truthfully, kind of just in my mind, I thought that that would be the last that we heard of Khalil Lee. He would just get released, and that would be that, but... Here we are a couple weeks later, and Khalil Lee reported to camp today and was, this is Wednesday we're talking, but was there in person. And so this is a little frustrating to see, in my opinion. I I realize that there is a legal process to all this. The Mets are waiting on MLB to make a a decision on what's going to happen with Lee. But in my opinion on the matter, Lee was designated for assignment he cleared waivers. He's off the 40-man roster. I don't think that he should be at spring training right now, personally, because, I don't know, It just it, it's, it's not really the kind of message that I think the Mets should be sending. And I realize that there is the legal process with all this, like I said, but he's not a person that's on the 40-man roster. Therefore, I don't believe he should be in spring training. And... Unless I'm wrong, I don't believe that he has to be there. I think that's a decision that the Mets made. Uh, I know they're just going about their process, but I think that a big thing in the Steve Cohen era has been, I think, trying to kind of make amends for some of the things that the Wilpons did under the previous ownership. And we know how many issues the Mets had when the Wilpons owned the team in regards to women. Obviously, if you remember, they they fired that woman who worked for the team because she got pregnant out of wedlock or or it was something along those lines. She was pregnant and the Mets fired her. It was a whole big deal. Um, and that's just one of many things that, that happened kind of in that dysfunctional front office. But Steve Cohen, I think you've seen wanting to kind of change the culture of the Mets, and I think that's been a big thing for him. And this, to me, kind of just seems like a little bit of a step backwards in that. And it's just a little frustrating to see because I do not believe that Khalil Lee should be able to suit up right now and be amongst the team while this investigation is ongoing and with these allegations coming out. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely disappointing. Uh, you, I didn't realize that this was announced and that he was going to be at big league camp. So I didn't find out until you told me when we were kind of going over what we'd be talking about before before we started recording, um, I do, uh, if I try to look at the, I don't want to say bright side, but I'm trying to f- figure out what the Mets thinking is here because obviously they're very, like, like you mentioned, they have an eye towards um, PR now. A lot of what the Mets do is in favor of like good PR. I mean, obviously part of that was the reason why they had that really fun uh, Super Bowl commercial that aired, you know, they're trying to they're trying to get like really good public relations out there, and so obviously bringing um, Khalil Lee into camp, who's accused of uh, of domestic choking violence, his ex-girlfriend, choking yeah. his choking his ex girlfriend, uh, is is pretty alarming. So if I'm trying to get into their thinking, uh, you know, like you said, legal process. I mean, I um. 
you know, and I guess that's something that's like really a lot on my mind right now because I'm reading this book called Monster with my with my ninth graders right now. It's a very good book, Walter Dean Myers, kid who's on trial. And so I guess it's important when talking about, you know, the incident that it's still alleged and I'm I'm still not happy about it. But I guess while they let the they probably have an idea of how long this kind of investigation or process like might take place. And I guess because the Mets in particular out of a lot of the major league clubs do have, are going to be heavily affected by the world baseball classic. A lot of their players are on team USA and team Puerto Rico. Um, Brendan Nimmo has since dropped out and Kodai Senga dropped out of Japan, but still a lot of players are going to be there. And so they, they'll probably have more like non-roster invitees than than usual, just because they have to fill out camp and get as much like quality practice, uh, in-game scrimmages, whatever for their you know starters who will remain in camp who need to you know get a get a hang of these new rules like as possible. So th- that that's the only reason that I could see why you would keep him here. I'm. I'm sure that he's going to be one of the first people uh, to be cut from camp as, um, you know, because as you get deeper into camp, you start sending more and more people like outriding to, you know, wherever or releasing them to focus more on your primary players. So I'm sure he'll be one of the first people to go, but it it still is kind of disappointing to hear. But, and I'm not here defending him and defending <laughs> domestic violence trying to be cool, you know, both sides. Like, I'm not that guy. It's I'm just trying to find the positive and see, you know, hope and hope that the Mets are acting in good faith right now. Yeah, and, and obviously you're uh you're a sound minded individual, which is why you know, I don't I don't mind talking about it with you. I mean not that I would mind talking about it with anyone because I believe that he shouldn't be amongst his teammates. But I think that what you're saying is probably how the Mets are thinking about it. Obviously, there is the legal process that we've talked about. MLB has to make a decision, which I'm assuming they will, hopefully. And hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. My only issue with it, and and I, I agree with what you're saying too, and I think that when everything is said and done with MLB, I believe that I have faith that Steve Cohen and company will do the right thing and get rid of Khalil Lee. But and I I I I just think that a guy like Lee who really hasn't done much in his time with the Mets, um hasn't really performed very well in the minors is kind of was kind of a cuspy guy on the rock roster to begin with. I don't think that I don't think that any grievance that would arise from the Mets just cutting him would be something that would move the needle that much in a negative way against the team, if that makes sense. Like, I think that whatever grievance Lee would file against the team would would be something that the team would be able to handle with ease. So I, I hope that they're not letting a potential grievance like sway them to make this decision of having him in camp if that makes sense. Like, I hope that they're not just like, oh, well, we could receive a a grievance if we cut Lee now without any kind of thing. But it's like they've already designated him for assignment. He's a guy that I believe is going to be approaching free agency at some point sooner rather than later. So would it really be that out of the realm where they could just cut him? And even if he had suspicions that it was because of the domestic violence, I mean, he would know. But even if he was like questioning that it would also kind of align with the fact that he's just simply not that good of a player. So I don't know. It's just, and, and hopefully at the end of the day, it'll be just a small blip in the season and we'll forget about it and it doesn't drag out long. But I think kind of just with, with pitchers and catchers reporting, it's kind of an unnecessary distraction for the team right now, especially for a team that really has high ambitions of winning and for a team that has wanted to change its culture if that makes sense. So that's kind of just my thoughts on the situation, Alex. I don't know if you want to add anything or, you know, if you have any other thoughts yeah. on the yeah, situation. Just, you know, it, 
I, I think, like you said, uh, we'll see if it is a distraction. I think if there's like a lot of questions asked of it, or if he's not interacting with the players the right way, they might feel differently. But clearly, being that he was really just a minor leaguer, um, he even got demoted to single A at one point during the summer because he was just performing so poorly. You know, you, you guys who get into the major leagues, usually it's because they look like the best guy on the field in AAA, and that just hasn't been the case with him. So I think because just because he's still kind of a, a lower-profile guy, that, that that's probably the lone reason why this isn't already a complete PR nightmare for the, enough of a PR nightmare for the Mets for them to just release him outright. Uh, you know, like Trevor Bauer kind of forced the Dodgers hand because he was, he's a very hope high profile guy. Uh, and so, and, and commands a huge audience and had a huge contract. So that's something that was going to be asked of them no matter what, whereas someone like Khalil Lee, I could see him kind of losing the attention of a lot of the press or something like after a few days. And I, I still feel, you know, 100% that, you know, if they hold on to him right now, it's just to fill out some roster room or something. They could easily, if someone else becomes available, like right away, someone who could like bring to camp or, you know, like whatever, then he would be the first one out. Or no matter what, as they progress through camp, he's the first one out. And eventually the news investigation, the investigation is going to come out and they'll get more details. And then it'll be like, yeah, no, he's out. And, you know, I, I, I do believe that there has to be like some process, you know, but, you know, usually with these things, nine times out of 10, it's like wh- what you hear is the truth because nobody actually, despite what some people want to say, People who come out with these allegations usually never receive any type of positive attention onto them. So when you hear, you know, women come out and you you know they're talking about their experiences and saying, "Yeah, this person was abusive," it's usually not for attention because the vitriol. I've never said this word out loud. Vitri- I shouldn't just. I just won't say it. vitriol. That they receive yes, on yeah vitriol that they receive online from trolls and whomever is no way worth it, and it usually makes their lives a lot harder. So I'm sure Khalili's girlfriend coming out with these allegations isn't some type of false thing, and she should be believed. But I believe that the Mets just want to see the process through, and as soon as the investigation is closed or they just don't have room for him on the roster anymore. He'll be, he'll be out. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so that was just our thoughts on that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. On a more positive note, it was really nice seeing Joey Lucchese today throwing in spring training. And I think Lucchese is a guy that I really am going to be keeping an eye on this year because I think that, a, it'll be nice to see him back after recovering from Tommy John surgery, having missed all of last year. But also, he's a lefty, and the Mets have been looking for another lefty for their bullpen potentially, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But also, he's started before. So I'm very curious if someone like Lucchese could be kind of like a Trevor Williams-type guy for the Mets in 2023, maybe work as that long guy, but have – different roles, maybe start sometimes, maybe come in situationally as a lefty, be a long reliever. So he's a guy that I'm going to be keeping an eye on as camp progresses this year and into the season too. So, and he was someone too that I I kind of forgot about a little bit. So it was kind of nice seeing him back at, back at it again. And um, I'm I'm looking forward to the churve and hopefully the guys will be doing the churve uh, you know, rallying behind that again and everything. So it was cool to see, especially I love when guys kind of rally behind the, the, the other players that aren't stars. So it was cool. They, they were all like, they seem to be big Lucchese fans. So I was really happy about, about yeah. seeing them today. I think you're dead on with that Trevor Williams comparison because in 2020, when Lucchese was, was getting starts, he, he was someone who came with a, an opener a lot of the times or didn't really particularly go deep. He, he usually had a very solid 
you know, like four and a third innings, but that's really all you were going to get out of him. So he definitely feels like he'd fit that type of Trevor Williams mold. And I, you saying his name out loud right now, totally forgot about him for a little bit. I knew I was forgetting someone because I was looking at like the names of David Peterson and Trevor and, and um, uh, McGill earlier and thinking, I feel like I'm, I feel like the Mets have like one more type of like high profile, like high triple A type of starter that is a, you know, is a spot star candidate here, but I can't think of him. So yeah, that's, that, that's Lou Casey. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously he must be a good clubhouse guy and someone who the, the guys admire because yeah, as, as you pointed out, like the, the whole like chirp craze that was going on through the, through the clubhouse and, and the kind of signs that they were putting up for him, you know, lets you know that, that, that he was liked. And so you know, I feel like there's a lot of those guys in the, in the Mets clubhouse who, who are just liked. And so I think that it'll have a, a, a nice like effect on morale having him around. And I, I could expect to see some, you know, really good things from him. Glad you brought him up. Yeah, well, I kind of wanted to segue a little bit into the Mets and lefties because this week the Mets did scout Zach Britton, the left-handed pitcher who was a – Really, really solid closer setup man in his heyday for the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, Britain pitched just two thirds of an inning in 2022 with the Yankees, pitched all of 18 innings in 2021 as he dealt with injury, and just pitched in 19 innings in 2020. That was a shortened season, so that might not have had to do with any injury or anything like that. But yeah, he's missed a lot of time over the last few years. But at one point, Zach Britton, under Buck Showalter in Baltimore, had a lot of really solid years. So the Mets scouted him today, and Will Salmon of The Athletic said that the Mets did not offer Andrew Chafin a contract, and Chafin signed elsewhere, and he was a guy that we had talked about a lot over the last several weeks as an option for the Mets. So a bit of a bummer to see him go elsewhere, but it didn't really seem like he was on the Mets' radar. The Mets prefer someone that could maybe be shuffled around a little bit more, a little bit more optionable. And I don't I don't think the Mets' bullpen really needs like any massive upgrades at this point now that I kind of think about it because they really did do the heavy lifting and bringing Edwin Diaz and Adam Adovino back bringing in David Robertson, bringing in Brooks Raley to be their lefty. And then other than that, they have some incumbent guys mixed with some external additions that could fill out the remainder of the bullpen. So it's not a pressing need. And I think bringing Britain in wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If he's cooked, he's cooked. I mean, he's he's going to be 35 this year, so he really well, very well may just be done. But Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and he gives you another formidable arm back there with David Robertson, with Adam Adovino. Um, But, yeah, so the Mets are clearly still in the market for a lefty. And before I ask you what your thoughts are about Britain, Alex, I want to say Matt Moore is also still out there. Matt Moore did not sign with anybody yet, and he's another guy who kind of had an underrated 2022 season with the Texas Rangers. So he is a guy that I've kind of been talking about a little bit the last several weeks, and I still think would be a good guy for the Mets to bring in because he's kind of like Lucchese where he has had he's had – some experience starting in his career. He's a journeyman, but he really ended up being a very good left-handed reliever for the Rangers last year. But that's an aside. I can kind of talk about that until I'm blue in the face. But Alex, what are your thoughts on the Mets uh, scouting Zach Britton? Yeah, I mean, you know, no harm, no foul, right? He's someone who, you know, high upside, low low floor, you know. he possible that, you know, he's older, his best days are definitely behind him. Um, it, if he comes in and he's his authentic self and he's pitching the way that he, he's historically been able to pitch, then that's you know one of the great signings of the offseason possibly. And it'd give you, you know, just one more super high profile, high leverage reliever with the Mets, someone who's also a lefty that, you know, I mean, 
who who could who's a lefty but could also pitch to right-handed batters um, from his you know high leverage experiences. So you know that's that's a plus no matter what, especially since he's a Buck Showalter guy. Other than that, though, like cool and you know you've mentioned Matt Moore. This uh, Tim Britton mentioned it in his uh, athletic article today. It'd been a he just came back from leave and I saw him bring him up and showed that they've had similar stats against left-handed batters the last like, year or whatever. And I was like, ah, look at that. He brought a Matt Moore. That's Rob's guy. I don't know. It's like, yeah, you, you've been all over that. So, you know, they could do that. Um, yeah, I'll just trust the decision-making here because I know right now the only reason why they haven't just pounced on him or even like Andrew Chafin before is because right now, they they have Brooks Raley, so they have some lefties in house who and Brooks Raley is very comparable to them, even though he's a piece of garbage. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. I hate I hate that. Um, but you know, but you know, results are results, and I know that right now what the Mets are primarily focused on is having guys with options so that they could you know do what they've been doing and having guys up and down like throughout the season. Yeah, and it's good to know that Tim has venerated my opinion. If that's the right word, can I use venerated in that? It feels that like context? it makes it feels like it works. You know how much I love looking up definitions, Alex. Let's just see if veneration has anything to do with being a country bumpkin. <laughs> Regard with great respect, semicolon revere. So I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Venerated me. Nah, that doesn't make sense. But anyway, yeah, Matt Moore. I think is it's more like who's... you venerate someone, right? Like I'm venerating Matt Moore right now. I don't think that's how it works. Well, we make our own rules in this podcast. Yeah. Vener- venerate these nuts, yo. Wow, I don't know if you could say that, dude. Is that too you might much? just have to scrap this whole episode. Eric, Not cut it. No, we'll, Eric, we'll you know what? Eric, Eric, you know what? Keep it in. All right. Alex needs to be held accountable for his sins. Yeah. It's so, okay. Alex. Yes. I was going to ask you what your thoughts are because another free agent that's still out there is Jerickson Profar. And he was a guy who I was like, you know, he's versatile. Maybe if, maybe if he could be had on a short term deal at this point, it would be worth it to bring him in to Matt's camp. But I think a, I kind of debunked it before even bringing it up to you because I think that pro far will still sign with a team who maybe deals with an injury at this point in the spring training, like in the coming weeks, like if a team deals with injury, they could bring pro far in. But also I was looking at his fielding stats and he's a really bad fielder, like kind of everywhere around the infield. He played a thousand innings at second base for this for the Oakland A's a couple years ago, and he had negative twenty defensive runs saved, which is just unbelievable somehow. I don't know how negative you could be that 20? bad. Yeah, that guy was just letting runs kind of fall. How does that any way happen? That he is he playing on a pinball field and there's multiple balls going out there and, and one at bat? Like how does that even happen? That's really crazy. I, I can't really think of any time where I've seen that high of a number or that low of a number. But anyway. So he's a he's no, a prime DH candidate then. I mean, the thing is, it's like he could theoretically kind of just play anywhere you needed him to. But And he did have a little bit of pop this past year. He had 15 home runs. But honestly, at this point, I don't even know if it's really worth it for the Mets to bring someone like him in. If he was good like defensively, like if he was good, like defensively, I'd say yes, go for it. But also, I don't know. But I will say, you know what? Bring back Tyler Naquin. That's who I want to see back. Tyler Naquin. I want him back on the Mets. That's the new. That is the new. That's the new bandwagon that I'm jumping on. Naquin to Mets. Yeah, I mean, Profar is someone who definitely like a month ago when we were when we were figuring out who would be the Mets' fourth outfielder and we were you know rallying behind McCutcheon I, you know I look I, was, I remember just like looking through and and doing research on every single like outfielder still available on the market and looking through pro far and thinking why not pro far why not pro far but ultimately I just um, he he's he's in like this very specific niche in these outfielders where he's not good enough 
to justify giving, like guaranteeing him a starting role in the Mets' particular outfield, he's good enough to have to be guaranteed a spot and guaranteed at bats in many outfields in the major leagues. But he's not good enough, in my opinion, to like completely supplant um, the combination of Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham, like in the outfield, or or Tommy or or Mark Hanna, Tommy Pham, and Brett Beatty in the outfield. He's he's solid. He's really good. He's someone who should be a starter somewhere. But in the Mets's outfield, with the salaries that they already have guaranteed, someone like Profar, unless he just like remains and lingers on the free agent market for a really long time and just needs to like get on a roster where he could sign for the Mets for like, I don't know, like less than 9 million or something, then sure. But he's someone who doesn't really make sense. Uh, I feel like he makes a lot of sense for the Yankees just because he's typically played left field when he is in the outfields. Um, and he is a lefty, right? Yeah, he's a lefty. Oh, he bats both. He's a switch hitter. How about that? But even so, he's good. Not good enough to supplant the other guys on the Mets. I just, I just don't think it really. He just doesn't seem like a great fit. Yeah, and and that's kind of what I was, you know, what I was thinking too. I was like, oh, you know, Profar is still a free agent. Like maybe the Mets. I mean, the Mets roster at this point seems more or less complete. Like I don't think they're gonna. They would just go out and sign Profar at this point. I think that if they're going to do anything, it might be like signing a Matt Moore, signing a Zach Britton, but that's going to be really it, I think, until the trade deadline. So, but it was just interesting. I was like, maybe Profar could be an option, but I just don't know at this point if he really fits. Like you said, unless he he lingers around and kind of falls into their laps, maybe it's worth taking a flyer on. But if he's still seeking a multi-year deal, I don't think that it's really worth it. Yeah. But, um, Alex, it is now time for my favorite set segment. I was going to say session. Segment. It's a segment. My favorite segment of the Mets Legends cast, and that is remembering dudes and also the 20-question format that we have instituted over the last several weeks. So I'm really stoked about it, and I know you did a little research before the podcast, and uh, I just wanted to ask you if you would like – me to go first, where I ask you the questions and I try to guess the guy, or vice versa. Let's let's do vice versa today. So you're gonna I'm gonna ask gonna you ask questions first because I actually I like I I like the person I settled on. I think he kind of fits a theme for today. Okay. All right. Cool. So I have my guy already. Okay. And uh, yeah. So start far- firing away those questions. Did he play in the 2010s? Yes, he did. Okay. Was he a pitcher? He was. Okay, he was a pitcher. Did he play before or after <laughs> or on the <laughs> That's a horrible way to phrase this, but I'm going to I'm going to stick to it. Before, after or on the 2015 World Series team? He was on the 2015 World Series team. Oh, okay. Did he see appearances in the World Series? He did. Oh. Wow. Wow. Okay. I didn't expect this. Okay. I have to rack my brain now because last week when I was narrowing down the outfielders and, and just couldn't get Billy McKinney, but like, I just couldn't come up with his name. But as I was getting there, these names just started to unlock in my brain. And I'm just trying to get to those brain blasts. I feel like right now I'm operating faster than my brain could unlock memories. Um, (laughs) Was he like a high leverage guy? Yes. Is this Addison Reed? Oh, you're so close. Oh. Uh, Not Addison Reed. Uh, this wouldn't you 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 not this isn't the closer right? No, it's not. It's not Jerry. It's not gonna be Familia. Familia, Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Is this? Did he pitch in the World Series? Is this wouldn't be um Henry, but like with a J, Henry uh, Mejia? No, it wasn't Mejia. Yeah, he wasn't on that team, was he? Um. Oh man, come on! I can't be. 
I can't be this close and not get it. Um, did he have like you, you a lot of appearances it. with the Mets that year? Like they, so I'll give you a hint. They got him mid-season. Okay, so it was a deadline acquisition. Yeah, pretty I much. At the deadline that year, it was Cespedes. It was Juan Uribe. Obviously, this isn't Juan Uribe getting innings. Um, like Kelly Johnson, obviously. I can't think of like any of the other pitchers. We had like all of our guys. Addison Reed was um, a midseason acquisition, but it's not Addison Reed. So Could he it? wore. I'll give you a hint. He wore. Okay. He wore glasses. Glasses. Like he wore goggles. Goggles. <laughs> um. I feel like I have a face in my head that I might be attributing to Addison Reed that it's not. Um, oh, 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 um, oh my God. Oh, Hansa Robles. No, not Hansa Robles. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'll give oh you, I'll give I'll tell Good. you, he, he primarily in his career played with the Washington Nationals. Oh, oh, okay. Um, cheese and crackers. He, he played for the, he played for the Yankees a little bit in his career too. Um, he's kind of been all over the place. He he pitched as recently as this year. He has 16 years in the big leagues. This this is going to make me turn into the Joker. <laughs> um, oh, I'm like so tempted to cheat. I know who this guy is. Oh my gosh! This is Do you want me to tell you? Give me give me uh, uh let's uh give me uh, 15 seconds um okay 15 seconds so at a timer it's be it's be so at the deadline the mets got him from oakland that year and then after he left the mets he played for the diamondbacks the yankees the white Sox, the astros the blue jays cleveland the Twins, the Diamondbacks, and then the Nationals. So he bounced around a lot. But before that, he appeared in two All-Star games. He was um, pretty much a setup man and closer for the Nationals. Um, the Mets faced him a lot, obviously, because he was in division. Uh, oh, oh, um, 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 t- Tyler Clippard. Yes, you got it. Tyler Clippard. <laughs> I'm out of breath. You were so close with Addison Reed too. And I, I was like thinking about doing him, but I decided to do Clippard. So I was like, I can't give you Reed because I did decide on Clifford, but Tyler Clippard. Like Yeah. I always forget that the I always remember him on the Nationals. I remember him and Craig Stammon, who I think is also still pitching. I think so. I think I, he's like I remember the seeing his name recently. Um, I think that he's I, still with the Padres, yep. Yeah, and those guys are like the same person to me. Craig he reminds me a lot of like I kind of associate him with like um, Sean Doolittle for some reason, even though Doolittle didn't play with Sean, him at the same Sean time. Doolittle, I don't think. Sean Doolittle's name kept intruding into my brain while I was trying to think of him. I'm like, no, I know Sean Doolittle was never on the Mets. I know this because I would probably have a Sean Doolittle jersey. Yeah, Sean Doolittle's awesome too. I love Sean Doolittle. Um, oh but yeah, God. you know what? You, that was a that was a, a valiant effort, Alan. I'm glad that you pulled it out. I feel so strong right now. You are. You're a strong. I like, man. don't remember him on the Mets. Like I like like after saying it out loud, I'm like, oh yeah, we did trade for him. But I guess I think he was someone that we traded for. But then uh, to be like the high leverage like setup man, but then he wound up not like. Staying in that role, like because he wasn't. Well, he great. Ca- he kind of burned out. Like he, Terry Collins just used him a lot. Um, like in the postseason that year, he he pitched in three games in the World Series, and he let up uh, two earned runs in two innings. Um, and he didn't really play that well in the postseason to begin with. And then like Addison Reed kind of just supplanted him as like the guy leading up to Familia. But Jeez. yeah, he was he was there. But, no, uh, I really and, hated know, the way Terry Collins and honestly Rojas and, and, and Callaway too. I hated the way all of them used their bullpen guys. You'd see these guys that just keep getting thrown at over and over and over again. And like, how is this guy like getting this many appearances? It'd be like July. And I'm like, how does this guy have this many appearances already? Like, aren't we, don't we want them to be effective the whole year? That's what I've really liked about Buck. Anyway, hit me. Yeah. I mean, I look at like Jim Henderson and like, 
how mm-hmm. Terry Collins deployed him. And it just like, like, cause Henderson was on the 2016 Mets and Terry Collins, like essentially just like ended his career. Like his last MLB appearance was October 2nd of that year, but he missed a lot of that season. He had 44 appearances and he missed like half the year. So Collins was just like, just basically like, That's like crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like Scott Rice, I feel like I saw, I saw Scott Rice way more than I should have Scott every minute rice. So is my player from the 2010s? No. Is he from the 2000, the 2000s, AKA the aughts? Mm, not on the Mets. Was he on the nineties? Yes. On the Mets. This is where we're hitting nineties. All right. Was he a infielder? No. Was he a position player in general? No. He's a pitcher. Okay. Yes. On our tattoo, late, late, late nineties. Okay. Was he was a starting pitcher? Yes, on that team. Was he on the ninety nine Mets? Yes. Did they get him mid season? Oh, did they get him mid season? I I wanna say no. He was only on the Mets for that one year though? Yes. Was it Kenny Rogers? No. Okay. So he was only on the Mets for that one year, and it was just the 99 team, right? Mm -hmm. He was a starter. But he's not known as a starter. He's not known as a starter. He later later became a reliever. Like He later became a closer. Yeah, uh, pretty he pretty soon he became a reliever. I think he he was probably starting for three years before he was officially um, a, a, a reliever. But he was did he come up through the Mets system? I think he did. Yeah, he was signed as an amateur free agent. He came up through the Mets. Oh, I know who this is. Who is it? Is is it Octavio Dotel? Did I give too many hints? Was that too easy on you? No, it wasn't. I just know that he became he became a reliever and he he was very briefly with the Mets in I didn't know that he was on the 99 team, but I knew he was on like a 90s team. Yeah, the 99 team was the loan his loan season with the Mets. He came up that year and then was traded. They I traded think. him, I believe, in the deal that the Mets got Mike Hampton from the Astros. Yeah, so we're just continuing this thread. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, Octavio Dotel is actually really cool. I remember we like on the Mets Legends Instagram account, it was like the anniversary of that trade for Mike Hampton. And I'm, we posted about it. You know, we did like a graphic. And he literally like sent a voice message of himself to the Mets Legends Instagram account. He was like, I remember that day. I remember that day. I remember hearing the news about getting traded. I'm like, Octavio Dotel is just like sending voice messages now to Mets Legends to talk about this graphic that I posted. I thought it was like really cool. He's a cool dude. That's sick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like it. I remember I was always really bummed the Mets traded him when I was a kid because like I remember playing in the video games and seeing him be like this really good reliever. But but it, it kind of makes sense that I mean they got Hampton and Hampton was such a big part of that He's a very, team. Very great player at the time. Yeah, and uh he fits the theme too because he ended his career on and he and he pitched for the twenty twelve World Series Tigers team and he ended his career um in 2013 with the Tigers along you know on that same team with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Wow, that was good. That was cool that you kind of looped that together. That's so funny. There's like that like link between those guys. Yeah, I was like trying I was like trying to like okay, like what's like a crazy team to look at? I'm like let's look at 99. And then I saw Dotel's name come up and I'm like Octavio Dotel? I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a good one." Cuz I, me- I remember like- him being on that team. It was like him and Melvin Mora were both guys that I felt like the Mets traded. The Melvin Mora trade really just sucked because they got Mike Bordick back from the Baltimore Orioles for like that stretch run, and he was just horrible. He was really not good for the Mets, and then he went back to Baltimore. Meanwhile, Melvin Mora had like so many good years with the with the Orioles. Yeah, and I mean Dotel, he played for thirteen major league teams. Oh, he um, was one that- of those. Did he really play for that many? Wow. I mean, it's crazy. You look through his baseball reference page and he, you know, he's traded from the Mets to the Astros and then he's on the Astros for 
um, like five, six years. And then after that, it's a new team every year. Um, and then, you know, the Tigers for those last two years. So just like all over the place, you know, obviously his record, um, he's the second most like teams. Um, Edwin Jackson, you know, obviously holds the record for most teams, but uh, Dotel is number two. Yeah, that's so crazy. I didn't realize that he bounced around that much. I mean, he played with, he went, he didn't go back to Houston. I don't remember him as a Yankee at all. No, I only remember him being a Tiger. I remember him being a Tiger, and I remember him being an Astro just because I had his cards back in the day. But so many of these teams here, like he played for the Pirates in 2010 for 41 games. Like I don't remember that at all. No, not well. I mean, God, my God, look, 2010. He was on the on the Pirates, Dodgers, and then Rockies. Like that must suck. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's. I I just wonder if like at that point, if you're like a journeyman like that, if you just kind of like understand what your role is, like you're just like you, you're not really very settled anywhere. You're probably just renting places and you're you're moving around a lot and everything like that. But um, I mean, listen. I think anybody would sign up to play 13 years in the big leagues. Like if you're moving around a lot like that, it's like people want you and, and, and you're, you're, you have a job every year. So, I mean, if I could have a 13 year MLB career and that meant that I had to play for a new team every year, I would do it. Yeah. Like no matter what that, that skill, that skill that you spent so much time developing throughout your entire youth, it's still desirable. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, Al, it was always, it's a pleasure. It's always yeah. a pleasure. It's always been a pleasure. It will always be a pleasure. Yep. And, pleasure uh, Island over here. Pleasure Island, baby. <laughs> Thanks for a great episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy pitchers and catchers. And hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. Let's go Mets. LFGM. <laughs>